0: Good morning, everybody. We'll continue where we left off last week. Last week we did the session um, from Alpha, which is, um, who is the Holy Spirit? Yes. And today we'll look at uh, the teaching from Nicky Gumbel, from, from uh, uh, Holy Trinity, Brompton, in England, from, uh, which is, what does the Holy Spirit do? And so that's Nicky Gumbel, who's gonna be our teacher, and then after that, I'd like to share two um, comments. One is, again, from Charles Stanley in his book called The Wonderful Spiritual Life. And, and I told you last week how surprised I was to find such a good expose, shall we say, um, in teaching on the Holy Spirit. And then also um, and then also, uh, Francis uh, Havergal, who wrote the hymn, Take My Life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Hopefully that will be our closing <coughs> song in our prayer. Um, this is all leading up to Pentecost, so you'll have such good preparation for Pentecost and when Jeff preaches about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Day. So, now, um, this is a hymn, a new hymn, that I'd like to teach to you, and it's a new one for me as well because it came from Jeff, who brought it uh, from Buford, and it's been around for 10 years, but I just didn't know it. And so it's fairly new to me, but it's a wonderful hymn. And so if um, if you get a chance by the fourth verse anywhere, they're all the same. So you should be able to (laughs) sing along with me, but otherwise I'll carry the first three until you get the hang of it. So first the song, the hymn. Then after that, uh, Nikki, and then my comments, They'll carry us right up to the service. Okay, and is going to help, so she's going to make it sound good. You don't have to stand. Oh, church arrived. this day thank you for our lives in Jesus Christ thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in us and to work through us we open our hearts to you Father Son and Holy Spirit come and teach us now Lord as we listen to Nikki and also to reflect on what's been said and how you affected Charles Stanley and Francis Havergal. And Lord, we pray that we might have that reality of your life, fullness in Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. A welcome again, and welcome to all of you watching this. It's great to have you with us. John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. In reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born in old age? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised by my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. So it's, it, it, the Holy is a bit like the wind. You can't actually see the wind, but you can see the effect of the wind. Sometimes people say, well, I, I can't see the Holy Spirit. I've never, never seen the Holy Spirit. But maybe you've seen the impact on someone else. Like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you can see the impact. Maybe you've seen the impact on your own life. Maybe something's changing in your own life. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, just like... With physical birth, a man and a woman come together in an act of love, and there is a physical birth. So it is when the spirit of God and the spirit of a man or woman come together in an act of love, there is a new spiritual birth. You're born again. I remember getting into a church in Brighton, and the Sunday school teacher was... Talking, And she was explaining what had happened in the Sunday school class the previous week. Where she'd been trying to explain to the children the difference between physical birth and spiritual birth. And she'd asked the children, are you born a Christian? And one of the boys said, no miss, you're born normal. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, you need this new spiritual birth. And when, I, when I became a Christian, when I encountered Jesus, I thought that was the end. I'd done it. I had all this sort of thinking about it, and then I had prayed, the Holy Spirit come into me, I'd arrive. And someone explained, actually, no, you haven't arrived. That's just the beginning. Just like when a baby's born, that's not the end. That's the beginning. And so it is when the Spirit of God comes to live in a man or woman, that's the beginning. It's the beginning of a new life. So what happens? What does the Holy Spirit do? First of all, he makes you a son or a daughter of God. Would you like to turn to Romans 8, verse 14? So Paul writes this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave and fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. What what he's saying here is, this is the highest privilege that you can have in life. This is the highest status that you can have in life, to be a son or a daughter of God. He he was writing in the culture of Roman law. And under Roman law, when someone adopted someone as a child, that was regarded as the highest status that that person could have. Actually, it's not so dissimilar today. I, I heard of one little boy who'd been adopted, and he was being teased in the playground people were teasing him about the fact that he'd been adopted. And he turned around to the people who were teasing him, and he said, look, he said, my parents chose me. Uh -uh. (laughs) Your parents got in love with you. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a, a huge privilege, to be an adopted child of God. I remember doing a conference in Hungary, and I met a woman there called Ildika Pap and she had been a homeless alcoholic 18 months earlier, living on the streets in Budapest. And she had, someone invited her on an alcohol course, and during that course, she had encountered Jesus and she'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. She got a job, she started life anew, and I asked her, the question I so often ask people at these uh, events, I, I said, what difference has Jesus made to your life? And I wrote down what she said. She said, he's changed me from being a beggar to a princess. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he changes us. He, every single one of us becomes a son or a daughter of a king, a prince or a princess. It's the highest status. Then it's also the closest intimacy. By him, that's by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba's an Aramaic word. It, it's untranslatable, that's why it's, it's left in the Aramaic. Abba. It, it's a word that's never used in the Old Testament of our relationship with God. But Jesus used it of his relationship with God. He called God. Abba. And then this amazing thing, he says, you, all of you, can call God Abba. You can have this relationship of intimacy, this word, which is kind of like dad, daddy. It's kind of very intimate, not childish, but just really close, intimate relationship. I read about some of the titles that Prince Charles has. He is the heir apparent to the crown, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, Duke of Cornwall, Knight of the Garter, Colonel in Chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales, Duke of Rosset, Knight of the Thistle, Rear Admiral of the Royal Navy, Great Master of the Order of Bath, Earl of Chester, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, Great Steward of Scotland, and if you or I were allowed to sign a letter, we'd have to sign our letter. Your Royal Highness's most humble and obedient servant. But to William and Harry, he's Dad. They didn't say, "Would you pass the ketchup?" Great steward of Scotland, Knight of the Thistle. <laughs> he's Dad. And God says to us, "You can call me Dad. You can call me Abba." You can have this intimate, loving relationship with God. You don't approach me, don't think of God as a sort of, so many people think of him as like this angry judge who's cross with us all the time. He's a loving, heavenly Father and you can approach him as Abba, this intimate relationship. And then it's the deepest experience. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I remember the first time I experienced the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled me. And I just had this experience. God loves me. Not just God loves the whole world. God loves me. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. And that experience changed my life. Knowing this testifying of the Holy Spirit, this experience, this feeling of God's love. And then, secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us to develop this relationship. He doesn't just bring us into the relationship of being a son or a daughter of God. He helps us to develop it, to grow in it, to grow closer to our Father in heaven. He helps us To pray, we we looked at that earlier in the course. We looked at that verse. which says that through him, through Jesus, we both, all of us, have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us access. Access is an amazing word. Access to the Father. When I was uh, at, at Cambridge University, I was uh, at Trinity College and uh, our, our rooms, I, I had rooms next door to Nicky Lee, and we were in Hughes Court, S1 and S2 Hughes' Court, and our rooms were on the high street, right above Barclays Bank,
0: and what we used
1: to do, uh, the, Nicky Lee was my closest friend, but it so happened that all my closest friends were called Nicky, there were five of us Nickys, and we also found some female Nickys, and we found some honouring nickies, and we all used to have lunch together every day in our rooms in S1 and S2, the Hughes Cool. And one time we were having this discussion about the bank downstairs, because we had some quite rowdy parties there, and we wondered whether they could hear down in the bank. And other people wondered, and this was not me that was wondering this, this was some of my friends that were wondering this, whether we could have access to the bank and possibly rob the bank. <laughs> So we decided that we would conduct an experiment to see how thick this ceiling was in the bank. So what we did is we sent one of the honoring Nickies down into the bank. Her name is Kay. And Kay went down to the it was very busy, it was lunchtime, and we decided we would gradually build up the noise while she was down, there. And she let us know at what point she could hear. So we would start by one person jumping, and then two, and then three, and we build it up to ten people jumping. Then on the chairs, one person jumping, to up to ten. Then on the table, one person. And finally, all ten people would jump off the table at the same time and see what noise could be heard. So Kay went down into the bank, very crowded in there, at lunchtime, and it turned out that the ceiling was much thinner than we had we realized. realized. In fact, she heard the first time someone jumped. But what she decided to do, was she didn't want them to think that she was in on this, so she joined the queue. And she thought, i better stay in this queue, because if I leave this queue, it's going to look really odd. But then the noise started to really build up. It absolutely sounded like a thunderstorm was happening. And she thought, well, what do I do? Do I stay here? Is this going to get worse? Or do I run out of the bank and tell them? So if I run out of the bank, nothing I'm going to do with it. So she decided to tough it out. And, literally, this is actually true. I thought it was bits of the polystyrene ceiling that fell off, but actually it was chunks of the ceiling that started to come down. And eventually she ran back up to say, they could hear us down in the bank. The ceiling was much thinner than we thought. Somebody happened to hear me telling this story, and they wrote to me. It was the guy who was the, uh, he wrote to me, and he said, uh, I was the clerk of college, uh, the, clerk, the college clerk of works at the time. And he said the problem of sound penetration between S1 and S2 and Barclays Bank was reported to me But until now, I did not know who it was who caused it. (laughs) 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 It was not polystyrene tiles which fell into the bank, but part of the suspended ceiling. Have no fear; there will be no (laughs) recriminations. But the point of the story, and there is one, (laughs) is that the ceiling was much thinner than we thought. And in your relationship with God, the ceiling is much thinner than you think. In fact, it's not there at all. You have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. You can talk to him. And the Spirit helps us to pray. The Spirit also helps us to understand the Bible, this book. He opens our eyes to understand. See, I thought I had to understand everything before I became a Christian. Unless I understood, I couldn't believe. But then I discovered it's the other way around. It was only when I came to believe that I started to understand this. I have heard this read over and over again uh, at school and in weddings and things, but I never understood. When the Spirit of God came to live within me, I began to understand. One great theologian in the church, Amsel of Canterbury, said this, Just in case you couldn't all follow that. It it means, I believe in order that I might understand. He said, For I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. The Spirit of God gives us understanding. He helps us to develop this relationship. And then... The Spirit of God brings about the family likeness. He makes us more like Jesus. It, it, it's obvious, isn't it, that the children very often look like their parents. What's amazing is that they often look like both parents, even if both parents look completely different. But what it is stranger to me is how sometimes husbands and wives grow to look like each other, just because they spend so much time together. And even dogs and their owners sometimes grow right? <laughs> to look like each other. <laughs> what uh, Paul writes is this, would you like to turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes this, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness. You're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, Who is the Spirit? So the Spirit changes us to become more like Jesus. What does it mean, more like Jesus? Moving on, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what it means to become more like Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit. Does, to bring about a family likeness in us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first and most important fruit of the Spirit. Love. Love is the greatest thing in the world. And the Spirit wants to make us more loving. Joy. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is about what happens to us. Happiness can be quite superficial. Joy is very deep. It's not dependent on what happens. Peace. Isn't peace amazing? Isn't it um, amazing to experience peace in a world of anxiety and fear and guilt and all this stuff? This, to be able to experience a deep peace, like, like the ocean current beneath the surface, even if it's rough on top. The peace of God, which is beyond all understanding. Patience. That's something that's taken quite a long time to develop in my life. Kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the kind of person that the Spirit wants us to become. That's the likeness of Jesus he wants to develop in every single person's life. And then there's unity in the family. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. To make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings unity. He brings unity in relationships, in marriages, in families, in friendships. In small groups, you may experience just a little tiny taste of that, even at this stage of our time. This closeness, the unity, and of course, it's made every effort to maintain the unity because maintaining unity is not always easy. Unity in a church is so important. Unity in the global church, Catholics and Protestants, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, all one of the great joys of my life has been seeing the unity in the churches as we've traveled around and done conferences and seen how God is lowering the denominational barriers and bringing Christians together in unity by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit of God does. He brings unity in the family. And then gifts for all the children. We're going to look at this uh, later on in the small groups. but you may like just to have a little glance at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, this is the first time we're going backwards. Let's have a little glance at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four to 11. This is the passage we're going to be looking at later. Now, to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. Do another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miraculous past, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirit, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The Holy Spirit gives everybody a gift. There's some the exhaustive list, elsewhere there are other gifts, the encouragement and teaching and so on. But every single one of you has gifts. Not just one, lots of gifts. And the idea of a community is that we're meant to use our gifts. It's not that you have sort of the church leaders who do all the stuff and everybody else watches. You are the church. You are the ones with the gifts. It's not supposed to be like a football match where you have 22,000 people desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people desperately in need of a rest. Yeah. That's kind of how many churches seem to operate. But it's, it's making everyone involved. One uh, person wrote to his vicar like this. Dear vicar, there are 566 people in our church. 100 are frail and elderly. That needs 466 to do all the work. But 80 are young people at school or college. That needs 386 to do all the work. But 150 of those are tired business people that needs 236 to do all the work. 150 of those are busy with children, that needs 86 to do all the work. But 15 live too far away to come here regularly, anyway, that needs 71 to do all the work. 69 say they've already done their bit for the church, and that needs you and me. And I'm exhausted, so good luck to you. (laughs) That's not how it's meant to be. gifts and we're going to use them and when we're all using them then the church comes alive and it's vibrant and it's an exciting place to be but it's all of us involved together that's why the spirit of God gives us all gifts and finally it's a growing family the spirit of God gives us power we read earlier today you will receive power and you will be my witnesses this is how the church grows. The Spirit of God gives us His power, and we are His witnesses. We tell other people about what's happened. Other people see in us the difference the Holy Spirit makes, and they thought maybe that's how you came on the course. You you saw the difference Jesus makes, the Holy Spirit makes in someone else's life, and you were attracted by it. Now I know that terrifies people. The thought you. I can be a witness. I've got to talk about what's happened. I don't want to talk to my friends about what's happened. That's a terrifying thing. Do you mean if I become a Christian, I have to talk to my friends? I don't think I'm going to become a Christian if I have to talk to my friends. I heard about one man. He said, you know, I'm not going to become a Christian because I know that if I become a Christian, it means I have to talk to other people. And that would be so embarrassing. I'm definitely not going to do that. And he went to see this wise older guy. He said, look, he said, in your case, God has made an exception. <laughs> you never need to Tell anyone about what's happened to you, it can just be a little secret between you and God, nobody needs to know. He was so relieved. He went up to his bedroom and he got down on his knees and he gave his life to Christ. He encountered Jesus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was filled with joy and excitement. He went down into the kitchen where five of his friends and his family were sitting. He said, It's amazing you can become a Christian and you don't have to tell anybody about it. <laughs> That's the point. You know, when you encounter Jesus, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I found that was the first thing I wanted to do. I just wanted my family to know. I wanted my friends to know. Because it's so amazing to know Jesus, to experience the Holy Spirit. We started by looking at the first verse in the Bible, and we're going to finish by looking at almost the last verse in the whole Bible. Revelation Chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, there at the beginning, He's here at the end. The Spirit and the bride, that's the church, the bride of Christ, say, come. Let those who hear say, come. Let those who are thirsty, come. Let all who wish take the free gift of the water of life. That's the invitation. The invitation is to everyone. It's to you, it's to every single person. It's just a wide invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come and experience God's love for you. Come and experience the, this intimate relationship of being able to address God as Abba." Come and have this deep experience of feeling God's love. Come and have access to the Father, the Spirit helping you to pray, helping you to understand the Bible. Come and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Come and be united with millions of Christians around the world. Come and experience the gifts of the Spirit. Come and experience the power of God giving you a desire to bring blessing by telling other people about the good news of Jesus. Anybody who comes, you will receive the free gift of the water of life. That's the promise for you. If you say, well, I really want that. The promise is, if you come, you will receive. You might say, well, I'm not ready. Well, if you don't feel that thirst, anyone who's thirsty, you say, well, I don't feel thirsty. What you can do is this, you can pray, Lord, I don't have a thirst, but Lord, would you give me a thirst? And then God will give you that thirst. And when you have that thirst, let those who are thirsty come, let all who wish take, and this is what God will give you, the free gift of the water of life.
0: Oh, okay. I told you about Charles Stanley's book, and um, i told you about it this week too but what i told you is that he um for him he graduated from seminary and he was going to be a pastor of a church but right across the street was uh, a a school where he had to teach classes Um, he had to teach this class to people who were very well seasoned in ministry and he felt so inadequate for the task and he freaked out through the whole summer um, until, until fall came when he had to do it. And right up to the day when he went into the classroom it was, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God come through. And he kept thinking he had to do something and um, so that God would rush into him and he'd say, aha, I know I got it. Um, but the way it happened was that it had to be that he offered himself to the Lord, and then he simply went out to do it. But he also did say that he had a sense of confidence that he had done what he was supposed to do, just offer himself to the Lord, and then he moved forward. I told you the silly example about my mother's vacuum cleaner, the Hoover that, that um, <clears throat> pushes itself. But, you know, it stands there still, and it's heavy because it has this motor in it, But as soon as you push the handle to go to vacuum, it starts to scoot forward. And it seemed as though it was this, that the power of God in his life happened as he moved forward in faith. Remember that the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. He's not a power. He's not the force. It's God himself who's coming to dwell inside of us, to live through us, to work through us, to do his his um, tasks that he calls us to do. Okay, I'm going to move on to finish with Charles Stanley and say that this is what he finishes one section with. These two things are essential to understand and enter into the life of the Spirit. Simply put, um, God brought me to a place of total dependence and total surrender. And that's it. Total dependence and total surrender. He came to a place that was over his head. And he had to trust that God was going to take him through it. And he did. Let me just um, read a bit of what he says under total dependence. The spirit-filled life begins once we are absolutely and thoroughly convinced that we can do nothing apart from his indwelling strength of the Holy Spirit. It begins when we are convinced, not... And some of us are harder to convince than others. The spirit-filled or spirit-controlled life begins with the overwhelming realization that we are absolutely helpless and hopeless apart from his empowerment. And he will go on to say that it's not like you have to get more of the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit has to get more of you. And that's where that relinquishment comes, that's where that... Turning yourself over to him comes, and it fulfills what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, and we, he says, the church tends to go on, uh, not giving the Holy Spirit a second thought, there's nothing, he's nothing but a theological category, they all have their assignments, they know what they have to do, love their neighbor, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and so on, they go about their business committed, doing the best they can do and not trusting that they have to be in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. So I think it's an exciting thing to be reminded of that, that even in the tasks where you say, well, I know how to do this, you just under your breath say, Holy Spirit, come and guide me into this process. Guide me into this work that I'm doing this day and then trust that he's gonna do just that. The um, second part that he, Talks about. The second thing is total surrender. But rather than dwell on what he says, this is where I want to go to Francis. Fanny, they call her. Fanny Haverbaum. And this is her autobiography called Kept for the Master's Use. And her story is this. She grew up in an Anglican home and she was a Christian from the age of 13 years old onward. She had observed a conversion and a friend of hers at boarding school and was very moved by that and gave her life to Jesus Christ. But she said, again, there just was a sense of inadequacy in my life, that something that just wasn't quite on the mark, and I kept wanting more. The way she put it was this. I had hoped for a kind of table land, uh, that a kind of tableland might have been reached in my journey. I guess that's a plateau or you know, some level ground. Where I might walk in the light without the weary succession of rock and hollow, crag and morass, stumbling and striving. But I seem born back into all kinds of difficulties of my way with my sin, uh, with many a sin uh, that made aggravation. I think the great root of my trouble and alienation is that I do not now make an unreserved surrender of myself to God. And until this is done, I shall know no peace. She went on to lament. I wish I rejoiced more, not only on my own account, but if I must say, on his, for surely I would praise him more, both by lip and service. Mine has been such a shady Christian life. And still later she wrote, oh, that I loved him more and more. How I I abhor myself for having loved for loving so little. And she read, uh, in her time of searching, she read a small pamphlet called All for Jesus. And you can't, uh, there's no author for it. It's very hard to find, so I Googled it. And somebody said, I think I found the little pamphlet that Fanny talks about. And it's not very long, but... um, It's a story of someone who had come into a more um, spirit-filled, consistent life. And that did just the trick for her. She said that it happened on Advent Sunday, December 2nd, 1873, and that there was a full surrender that came from her. She says, God admits us from full surrender into this spirit-filled life. So I just utterly yielded myself to him and utterly trusted him to keep me. And that's where that hymn came. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That we sing. That's the hymn that speaks of that experience. It's a poem that was set to music. And then what was the outflow of that in her life? Well, I, I typed very quickly so I may have too many typos to make sense here, but let me try. There was the constant experiencing of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. There was undiminished and unchanging love for her Savior and for others. There was the joy that lifted her whole life into sunshine that had been previously, as she described it, like April. Uh, A little bit of this, a little bit of that, until summer came along. There was the peace of God that passes understanding, flowing onward, ever deepening and widening. And she wrote this um, lovely hymn called Like a River Glorious, which goes like this. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Every joy or trial followeth from above, traced upon the dial by the son of love. We may trust him fully, all of us to do, they who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. And then she went on to say, "Now, thy will be done," was not a sigh, a sigh, but a song. I never find, uh, I never find that he fails to respond to trust. Again, Charles Stanley. And she said that. Uh, She just keeps wondering when the next loving kindness of God is going to happen. That's how her days proceed. It's such a glorious life, she says. And the really leaving everything to him is so inexpressibly sweet. And surely he does arrange so much better than we could ourselves when we leave it all to him. And that's the mystery that I'd like to come into. I always think of it in terms of Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat when he's in the middle of a storm. To be able to come in that place of trust that every day of your life, no matter what happens, you can just say, I know your loving kindness is being revealed and I can trust you. And it's a different way of seeing the spiritual life where God is always present, always working, always on behalf of our good, our welfare. He said, she said, even in physical weakness and in pain, she could gladly say how infinitely blessed it is to be entirely Christ's. To think that you and I are never to have another care or another fear, but that Jesus has undertaken simply everything for us. And isn't it grand to have the privilege of being his instruments? It does seem such loving condescension that he should use us. So that's her story. Those are the things that puzzle me. Um, As my life still ebbs and flows, um, it's it's embarrassing to be professionally involved in his ministry and yet to not be topped up (laughs) with the Spirit. But there's more to grow into. Perfect, she says, and yet it floweth fuller every day. So there's always more that God wants to give up, give us of himself. And that's what we remember, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's himself that he gives us. It's a union life. It's almost like being Siamese twins with, with God. Let's um, finish by singing this hymn together so that we can have that as our prayer. Take my life. Let that be your prayer. Let your love come now. Let it just pour down into every part of us. Fill us, Lord, to overflowing. That we may love you more. And that we may love our neighbors with the love that you give to us. We thank you so much for making yourself available through Jesus Christ and in
1: the power of the Spirit. Amen. 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 You may be dismissed.